Hi, and welcome back to the Jack and Ian show. We had a little bit of a shorter show last week. It was Thanksgiving. We got to spend some nice time with family. I hope you guys did too. But now we are back. We're back to talk about sports. A lot has happened since we've last yes. talked. My goodness particularly in the coaching uh, world with college. And then on top of that, it was rivalry week. We've got a lot of Major League Baseball news that's hit as the, that offseason has begun. Uh, we're going to get to so you think you think you know about soccer as well. But to start out, we're going to go ahead and hit up some NFL notes from the weekend. Ian, what were some games that you loved watching? All right, so the first game that I enjoyed the most, which I'm sure none of you guys are surprised about, was that Raiders-Cowboys game. As many of you guys know, I made a bet with Joseph and Nate, two of my friends here at TCU. Joseph the editor. Yeah, Joseph our editor, yeah. And um, we basically said whoever's, whoever's team loses has to wax their legs. So Nate and Joseph are kind of uh, in trouble. Yeah. But anyways, though, getting back to the actual stats of the game, the Raiders played a great game against the Cowboys. It was definitely a super, super, super exciting uh, game on Thanksgiving. Definitely the best game on Thanksgiving. Um, the Raiders moved to 6-5, and five and the Cowboys are now 7-4, and four, still at the top of the NFC East. But uh, Derek Carr, man, he had a fantastic game. He went 24 for 39, 373 yards, only one touchdown, but... His receivers did the work for him. Uh, Hunter Renfro, 134 yards off of eight receptions. Definitely his best game of the year. Then the Raiders have finally understood and, and have figured out how to use Deshaun Jackson effectively. He had three receptions, 102 yards, and one touchdown. So definitely a good looking, um, definitely a good game for the Raiders. Yeah, and we talked about earlier when all that kind of drama was happening within the organization. We, we talked about how... You're, you have to respond yeah. in one way or another. No team is going to be the way they were yeah. after something like that happens. They're either going to kind of roll over and die yeah. or they're going to respond in a positive way. And, I mean, at first it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. I mean, you all got blown out by the Bengals the week yeah. before. But then uh, this is a response that you kind of need. Maybe this is a little bit of a turning of the tide. Exactly. Uh, you know, this is the hope, if you're a Raiders fan, is that maybe – this gives you a little bit of life. It was a big primetime game on yep. Thanksgiving. Yep. It was on the road. You won an overtime. That's yep. going to give you some momentum going into the next week, especially after a performance like that from Derek Carr. Yeah. I mean, 373 yards is just ridiculous. Yep. And then, I mean, the Cowboys now a bit of a skid here. You know, they've yeah. lost... What, three in a row? They've lost three... No, they've lost uh, two in a row. Two, They okay. lost the Chiefs, and then uh, they lost to the Raiders. So... Cowboys got to figure it out. If you lose two in a row, that's okay. If you lose three in a row, yeah. you're in trouble. Well, well, luckily, though, for the Cowboys, the NFC East isn't competitive, but they're the going to need to cement their spot for the playoffs and get a high seed because they definitely want that bye. But it's going to be tough because the Buccaneers are challenging for that spot. But, but yeah, yeah, Cowboys, they, you know, I mean, obviously no alarm bell should be ringing right now, but it's time to get back into the wind column for them. For yeah, sure. they shouldn't be worried about making the playoffs. The bigger issue would be seeding, yep. uh, home field advantage, yeah. wanting to get momentum before the playoffs because they're honestly not that far away yeah. by this point. This is the time to kind of tighten it up a little mm-hmm. bit and be able to kind of dig in exactly. and try and make a real push towards the end of the season. Yeah, And this is kind of a time of – it's a crossroads, honestly, for Dallas. Yeah. You know, it really is. And so it will be interesting to see how they respond next week Yeah, and the next game they play. Uh, and But for Vegas, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, you know? yeah totally. Uh, it was a crossroads that they had a week or two ago. Uh, 
they look like they're responding positively to that. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously a very good sign. Uh, Obviously, it wasn't great for, uh, you know, cowboy fans particularly, you know, in this case, the Mm -hmm. people that have to shave their legs. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they need to do that sooner than later. You can't let them get away with that. No, I feel like no. they're going to just not talk about it. No, we're going to do it on Friday. Friday or Saturday night, so. Friday or Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. you're going to. I don't think. You said Nate's not doing it, though. You said he's. he's yeah, Nate Nate said he's going to pay me about 100 bucks. so so we'll see. We'll see. I would honestly take the $100. I would, too. I mean. over. Well, I would rather receive $100 and watch no, my yeah. save their legs. Yeah. So I've, that's not a bad deal totally. for Nate that you're getting. Definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, you're getting best of both worlds. You're getting money and you're getting the Washington Jets. I'm getting to pull legs. a wax strip off of one of my friend's legs and I'm getting the cash. So You're getting both. Exactly. Wait, so he's not going to fully shave his legs. It's just a wax strip or is he doing the Oh, no, we're, we're waxing both legs. Oh, okay, completely. Yeah, like up, basically up to the thigh so that he can wear shorts and it'll be covered, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're going that's all hilarious. out here, folks. But yeah, yeah. I, I thought when you just said one strip, I was like, "Oh, is he just oh, no, taking a little what, chunk out?" I might have to do one strip on Nate, but we'll okay, see. that's fair. Anyways, though, um, yeah. So, so that's going to come up later this week. Um, but, but getting back to the Raiders Cowboys game quickly, the Cowboys are definitely going to have to perform better next week. Penalties were a huge issue this week. Um, it was disastrous. The Cowboys had 14 penalties, just like the Raiders, but. Um, it racked up a total of 166 yards. Anthony Brown had the most, um, well, he, he had four PI calls on him. Um, and, and his last one actually led to the game-winning field goal by Daniel Carlson in Auburn overtime. Yep. Legatron. Definitely. Uh, yeah, love Daniel Carlson, but the Cowboys cannot do that. Yeah, it, it's definitely an issue. And, and you know, looking at the Raiders now, again, just as Jack said, the Raiders had a couple issues against the Bengals and then um, – the week before playing the Cowboys as well. Um, but but now it seems like we've finally understood how to use Deshaun Jackson effectively. You know, um, it was pretty clear that when he came in, we knew what we're, how we were, oh, sorry, we, we knew what we wanted to use him for. It was just a matter of performing and doing that on the field. Right. Because, you know, he needed to um, to get on um, time with, with Derek Carr and his passes. They, they kind of needed to to figure some stuff out. And, and now, I mean, it seems like it's all coming together, and hopefully the Raiders can take this in the next week. So, Yeah, um, for sure. Um, another team who's kind of sitting in a good spot, uh, the Bucks beat the Colts in another great game Yeah, that we got to watch. Leonard Fournette had a great game, had a game-winning touchdown. Yeah, What was supposed to set them up for a game-winning field goal, he just decided to run it anyway. Exactly. Get the exactly. win. Uh, they are in a... Much like the Cowboys, they're in a division that's mm-hmm. not very competitive. I mean, yeah. the Saints just got absolutely crapped on mm-hmm. on Sunday by, I mean, or Thursday. The Bills, yeah, yeah. they beat them on Thanksgiving. Yep. They killed them, yeah. man. That was not close. Yeah. But, uh, so the Bucks are in a good spot, yeah. you know. They're 8-3. And, 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 and Leonard Tom Fournette's our, our player of the week as well. So, I mean, he, he had a fantastic game there, so. 100 rush yards, three rushing touchdowns, and a receiving touchdown. So, yeah, just goes to show that man, that guy game. was insane. Monster game. And the Colts are a good team. Too. Yeah, Col- both Colts those are good. teams. Yeah. Both those teams are pretty good. You know, Colts. Yeah. The Carson Wentz is a pretty unimpressive as a quarterback. Just, yeah. Just as a name. Yeah. You know, like ever since really he was like a, a like an MVP candidate at Philly. Totally. He's not seen as that great of a quarterback, but this season. The Colts have kind of flown under the radar all year, and they've yeah. they've have a pretty explosive offense, yep. and they they can put up points, and they have a solid enough defense to go along yeah. with. I mean, 
they're a solid team that's flown under the radar all year. Definitely. And so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of shake up towards the end of the season. Yeah, so um, anyways, though, Leonard Fournette, player of the week, um, he definitely played a huge role for the Bucks in their 41-38 to win over the Colts. And now um, getting to our next player of the week, um, this was between the Bengals and the Steelers, and Joe Mixon um, was outstanding. He had 28 rushes, 165 yards, and two touchdowns. The Bengals are now second in the AFC North, but they're just behind the 8-3 and three Ravens, who are looking kind of shaky in my opinion. But um, but yeah, the, the Bengals are, are playing super well this year. They're, they're pretty outstanding. Steelers lose their second game in a row, and it's their third game without a win because of that tie against Detroit three weeks ago, and they're now third in the AFC North. So Steelers definitely have to pick it up. Yeah, the Steelers are really, really bad. You know, yeah. there's not much else to really say about them. Mm-hmm. They're kind of in a weird spot where they got some young guys like, you know, Najee Harris. Yeah. Or, you know, they had Juju Smith-Schuster, who looks like a bright spot for a long time. Mm-hmm. But they've been Roethlisberger. It's kind of time to move on. And that's no secret either. Everybody kind of knows it's time to move on from Ben Roethlisberger exactly. and into kind of a new era of Steeler football. But right now, they're just in a spot where you don't really have many options yeah. at quarterback, so you're just going to roll with Ben Roethlisberger, yeah. and it's not working because he needs to retire, totally. or at least kind of take a backup role mm-hmm. somewhere, kind of like Andy Dalton did yeah, or yeah. something like that, you know? Exactly. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, the, the, the idea of Ben Roethlisberger retiring or, or the Steelers needing to move on from him is nothing new by any means. It's just the fact that, I don't think there's many, you know, top quarterbacks right now that are, you know, at least coming out of this this next upcoming draft. No, no, nothing a, special where it's a like thin, the franchise type. This is a thin draft when it comes to quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. you've got a couple guys like Matt Corral or something that could be fun and exciting. Yeah. But I don't know if they're like a franchise guy. I'm not sold on them mm-hmm. as being a yeah. NFL quarterback. That's Especially the replacement the for Ben. That Yeah, that can last 10, 15 years as a solid mm-hmm. starter in the NFL. I just yeah. don't buy it. Yeah. Now, could it happen? Yes, but I, there's a good chance it doesn't. Yeah. So I'm not completely sold on that. And, you know, it might take a couple swings at it for the Steelers. It's de- certainly worth going ahead and getting a quarterback now just so you can start the moving on process. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work out, then you at least have a chip, exactly. uh, that you, a quarterback that you draft in the first round. That, yeah. That's tradable. No, totally. So I, I could see them you know, taking a Matt Corral or someone mm-hmm. like that just to try and get some life in this franchise. Yeah. The last couple of seasons, really the last, like, season or two has kind of started to falter and waver. I mean, they've just kind of slowed down completely. They're not fun. I mean, they're a pretty boring team. Yeah. You know? Definitely. And um, But, yeah, that that is going to wrap up our segment on the NFL. Again, Game of the Week, Raiders against Cowboys, and Players of the Week, Leonard Fournette and Joe Mixon. So. Yeah. Um, okay, college football this last weekend, really starting Thursday night with Ole Miss-Mississippi State, it was all unbelievable. It truly has been. And it's not just the games necessarily, it's also the off-the-field drama. It's It's gotten intense. It really, really, really has. Uh, starting really, I guess, 11 a.m. Saturday morning, Michigan State, or uh, Michigan-Ohio State was... Man, did Michigan just... When you watch that game, you know Ohio State's good, but Michigan looks like the better team, and yeah. it's not even close. Michigan dominated that game. They were they could not stop... Ohio State could not stop the run. 
Michigan ran all over them. And then their defense was able to get stops kind of when they needed to, and especially early on so that by the time it was late, Ohio State was playing from behind and Michigan yeah. kind of had house money. And so it just it, Michigan just dominated that mm-hmm. game. There's not much else to say. Yeah. They dominated that game. That atmosphere looked absolutely unbelievable. It was an awesome game. Now, this is the first time Michigan's won in literally forever. Michigan gets one game against Ohio State. It feels like a decade. They get one a decade. But this is one where it's going to count a lot. They're in the Big Ten Championship game because of this. They have a real shot at the the national championship because of this. They're the number two team in the country now because of this. Michigan is looking good. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan was patient. It yeah. looked for a while like it wasn't going to turn exactly. out. It looks like it wasn't going to work. He was probably going to get fired because they weren't going to be patient. But they were patient. And now they're the number two team in the country. Yeah. So it looks like it might have worked out there in Michigan for them in a game that both Michigan and Ohio State fans care about so much. And Michigan came out on top. That was one. That was exciting. I was pumped. And then to flip immediately into that, into the Iron Bowl, at least for me, was unbelievable. Yeah. Now, as an Auburn fan going into this game, I had little to no hope of a win. We were 20-point underdogs. Oh, wow. And rightfully so. Even though we were at home, we were 20-point underdogs. It was because we're without our starting kicker, Anders Carlson, brother of Daniel Carlson. Uh, Anders Carlson tore his ACL. He's out for the season. Bo Nix just had season-ending surgery, like, the week before. He's on, like, a scooter on the sideline. Literally, it, it feels hopeless because a kicker and a quarterback are pretty important positions to have. Yeah. And to be missing both in a big game, it's just like it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But, man, did that Auburn defense step up. My goodness. I remember at one point in the second half, uh, them them coming on, like the announcers, I forgot um, – who it was uh, that said it, but um, they said at that point in the game, it was like the third quarter, Auburn had as many sacks as Alabama had first downs. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. And it was like eight sacks and like eight first downs. It was it was a high – it was low number for first downs, but still a high number for sacks. Yeah. It was somewhere in that middle ground, yeah. you know, like five or six mm-hmm. or something. And Auburn just dominated the line of scrimmage from the word go. Yeah. I mean, that Alabama offensive line is absolutely porous. I mean, they they could not stop that Auburn blitz. Auburn would bring five or six. They would play good enough. They would press man-to-man on the outside. No wide receiver could get open in enough time because they kept trying to push the wide receivers deep. Sure. Those little crossing routes would always be there, but Auburn would always tackle them. They did a great job of open field tackling. Yeah. So if it was like a five-yard slant, you're only getting five yards. Mm-hmm. Or it's getting deflected away. Sure. And so they just couldn't move the ball down the field because of that. It was an absolutely masterful game plan from Derek Mason. It was an awesome game to watch, insanely entertaining, until about the last 20 seconds of the first, uh, the fourth quarter. So I knew that that game could not go to overtime because Auburn could not score. It was 10 nothing in the fourth quarter. Alabama gets a field goal. They get the ball back with a little bit of time left because the Auburn running back doesn't go out of bounds. I think that's stupid anyway. Whatever. I still thought Auburn was going to get the stop. Uh, I didn't think... I see how it is a big deal. That's not the reason we lost the game. The reason we lost the game was because our quarterback could not walk. Our backup quarterback could not walk. And we didn't have a starter. And the third string is a walk-on with, like, basically no in-game experience. And so you're not going to put him in. Yeah. Not in the biggest game of the year. Yeah. And so you're really stuck at quarterback. And so you just hand the ball off every time. 
that's the reason we lost the game is because we literally did not have a quarterback that could move. Anyway, Alabama goes down, scores the ball, whatever. I knew we could not go to overtime. I was sitting there in the third quarter saying, if this goes to overtime, Auburn's losing. Because offensively, we cannot score. Our defense has been great, but given a short field, Alabama's probably going to be able to find the end zone. And that's exactly what happened. I'm surprised we made it to four overtimes, so being honest. Yeah. I thought we were going to make it to maybe two if we're lucky. Yeah. And then by the time we got to four, I was like, maybe. And then Auburn couldn't convert one time, and then I was like, that's over. Sure. I knew immediately in my gut that Alabama just won that football game yeah. when they got the ball back. And so it, it was a fun game to watch, but, man, was it a heartbreaker at the end. It was a heartbreaker, but I wasn't sad because we should have been killed. Yeah, yeah. You guys the put up a fight. The fact that we fought was what I was happy yeah. about. I mean, it, it sounded like a great game all around for both defenses as yes. well. Yes, I mean, yes, extraordinary game defensively. If you love defenses, you yeah. would have loved that game. <laughs> That was a masterful defense, defensive performance by both teams. But the thing is, is I just as an Auburn fan, it's not like I'm angry because I know we played our guts out. It's more just sad for people that are like seniors and stuff, where that's the last yeah. game at home, uh, you know, to go out in that fashion to a rival. It just sucks. So that, that's the main part that was uh, kind of sad. And then you move right into that to another awesome game. Yeah. Top 10 matchup, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Um, Oklahoma, this is the second worst thing that happened to them this week. Um, <laughs> Oklahoma lost on the road to Oklahoma State at night. was an extraordinary game. Both teams kind of felt like it felt like both were losing muff punts, stuff like that. Uh, just turnovers that gave the other teams great field position or touchdowns. Neither team really wanted to win. And and in the second half, it kind of tightened up a whole lot, and it got a little, you know, a little more in line. The referees were not great for Oklahoma. I'm aware of that. Oklahoma State was getting calls. Um, but, I mean, that was, that was a fantastic, fantastic game. Insanely entertaining. Insanely clutch. This is the first time Oklahoma's not going to win a Big 12 championship in literally forever. So that's exciting because Baylor and Oklahoma State, that's fun. That's new. That's fresh. And it's also nice because Oklahoma's wanting to leave the Big 12 because they're yeah. better. But now you're not even in the championship game. So that's kind of fun. Now, that's not really the story, though, out of Oklahoma. We'll get to Sonny Dykes in a yeah. second because that's what kind of applies to us. But since I'm already on the topic of Oklahoma, we might as well mention Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma, a very historic school. A destination school, not a school most coaches leave. He left to go to USC, a school that's in a much worse position right now than Oklahoma. They haven't been good in a while, at least over a decade since they've been really prominent in college football. It, it's been a minute, and he's going. He's taken a lot of recruits, a lot of coaching staff with him. He's left. He he's left Norman in absolute shambles. He might as well have dropped a nuke. <laughs> Like, it, that would be about the equivalent. Like, I think a lot of their fans wish he dropped the nuke just so they didn't have to live through what might happen next. Yeah. Because, my goodness, he, after the game, I don't know if you saw this press conference. I saw, yeah. You saw what happened? He was, uh, a, per, a reporter asked him directly, are you leaving? He goes, he was, this is hilarious <laughs> looking back on it now, he goes, I'm not going to LSU. It's like, okay. He wasn't wrong. He didn't really but... answer the question, but that's a good enough answer for a lot of people. Because that was the school that was originally reported yeah. as to where he would be going. Exactly. And he just dipped and went to USC. Now, I understand it when you look at the money. Mm-hmm. Have oh. you seen how oh, much yeah. money 
he's making from this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Here, I have I have it uh, saved. Like there, someone made a post about it uh, a while ago. It is ridiculous how much money he's making at USC. I believe it's uh, ten years, hundred million dollars. Uh, a private jet that USC is buying for him and his family to use whenever they wish. Here it is. Lincoln Riley contract details. $110 million. USC is buying both his homes in Norman, Oklahoma for $500,000 over the asking price. Basically a million dollar bonus. USC is also buying him a six... They're paying for his $6 million home that's going to be in L.A. They're also giving him unlimited use of a private jet 24-7 for his family while paying for its gas and usage. Paying for gas? Okay, gas in California is hella expensive. Yeah, so they're about to give him... What? That's 110 million. So that's 100. That's 117 million plus a private jet. So that's hard to walk. That's hard to turn down. Yeah. Really. That's that's one of those offers where you're like. And also, let's be realistic. Would you rather live in Norman, Oklahoma, or Los Angeles, California, as a multi multi millionaire? Yeah. It's not that hard a choice, really. Like I understand you have ties, but at the same time, money talks. (laughs) And when it's 110 million. It talks 110 million times, yeah. and it gets pretty convincing. Yeah. So that, who can blame him? But Oklahoma fans are not mad. Now, talking about other people that are mad, that's hilarious, SMU fans. I don't know if you've been on Twitter at all recently. Have you? Have you seen the SMU yes. fans on Twitter? Yes. It's made my week. Now, what was your kind of reaction to the Sunny? Dykes hire, uh, if you had one. How was your feeling kind of about that? Uh, were you there last night at the big introduction thing? Yeah, so no, I, I wasn't there. I was stuck in a statistics class, thankfully. <laughs> that, was, that was the best thing ever. But no, I mean, I, I, I think Sonny Dykes coming over to TCU is is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm not the, the most versed in college football and, and you know, with, with the top players and the top coaches, but from what I know about Sonny Dykes and, and SMU's program, and especially the coaches that he's bringing, it seems like we're going to get kind of a new fresh start with a new coaching staff after it's been quite a long time with the same folks. You know, um, I, I, I kind of think that we needed, we, we needed a bit of a clean house of coaches um, just to get a new philosophy in there, just to get a whole new game plan. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely think it's the right move for TCU. And in terms of the recruits that have been dropping out of, uh, or sorry, um, yeah, the, the recruits that have been dropping SMU and, and you know, kind of saying that they're going to come to TCU, I mean, that that's fantastic for the program. Yeah, that's the encouraging sign is I didn't feel great about the hire at first. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm uh, that's fine. Yeah. Like, he's not a bad coach or anything, but, like, we'll see. Yeah. Then when we saw the assistant coaches coming in, like San- R- that's what samples. got me excited yeah. was samples and guys like that coming that are really, really good mm-hmm. recruiters that are able to get really, really good players. Yeah. Samples was a big win. There were a couple others. Garrett Riley, yep. brother of Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, that was it, – it just got exciting yesterday. Yeah. Kind of seeing it actually happen, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Especially getting two recruits. Yep. One really high-caliber recruit. The other one a really, really good recruit as yeah. well. That was encouraging. Yeah, I think it, so far it's been like what a, a 
two wide receivers, one five-star, one four-star. Yep. That's what it seems like. Yeah. And so that has been extraordinarily encouraging. Yeah. To happen within the first 24 hours. Yeah. To have that happen as soon. And to is... know that those aren't the last ones by any means. No, that's the thing. Is you're like, if it's happening now, imagine yeah. what's going to happen, what we're going to have in a month. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this, this is a this will be a fantastic Christmas for TCU. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 fun. It's given it a lot of new life. Mm-hmm. It's a younger coaching staff, more energy. Uh, everyone seems really excited about it. It seems like it has a lot of potential. Yeah, it's fun. You know, it really, really, really is fun. And so I am pumped to see what happens yep. with TCU football moving forward. The other big move was Brian Kelly to LSU. Yeah. Uh, he has two years. He has two years. That's the thing. He is a great coach. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. College Football Hall of Fame. He'll be there. No doubt. He's the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. A very storied football school. Yeah. Now, at LSU, though, you're working with better recruits. And the last three guys to coach at LSU, the last three head coaches at LSU, have all won championships there. So expectations are high. Yeah. Now... You maybe have two years to turn it around in a very competitive Western Conference yeah. that's only going to get more competitive. So you have to figure it out starting day one. It better work because he's on a big contract yeah. for a long time. And LSU fans will turn quick if it does not work. Yeah. Within the fans first, are brutal. Within the first year, they'll want him fired if they have, like, seven wins. Mm-hmm. If they go seven and five, they will want him gone after that first year. And... There'll be people against him. Some people will be like, let's be patient. But I guarantee you there'll be those fans that want him gone immediately. Sure. And not going to give him time. So it is imperative uh, that Brian Kelly figures it out early at LSU if he wants to stay there for very long, which I think he probably will because that's going to be a monster buyout if they want to fire him. But Yeah. yeah, They'd have to pay him quite a bit of money. Yeah, this is this is going to be – and now, now the interesting thing is, though – there are so many other coaching jobs. Notre Dame's still open. Yeah. Miami's open. You've got some you've got some places, you got some schools that need coaches. And so it's gonna be interesting the next couple of weeks seeing where all these guys go. Anyway, that and we're going especially going into conference championship week. I feel like a lot of the news will probably uh, come out over the remainder of this week. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's what I got for college football this week. Man, was it busy. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it was busy. There yep. was so much <laughs> happening. It was insane. But another sport a lot's been happening in is uh, baseball. Yeah, so just as college football is staying hot, you know, things are going on. Things are going on in baseball. Um, right now, it's it's the free agency period. It's the off season, and there's, a, there's been a lot of moves, and there's many more to come. But we're going to start off in the AL West where my Oakland Athletics are looking like they're going to just drop the ball this year. Um, <laughs> what else is new? Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to start in the AL West with the Texas Rangers, staying local. And the Rangers recently signed two stars. Um, first off, Corey Seager. Corey Seager, third baseman from the LA Dodgers. You know, had a bit of a tough year last year. Only happened to play 91 games just because of injury. Sorry, not 91, 95 games. Um, but they signed him to a monster contract, 10-year, $325 million. Um, you know, just just crazy stuff. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. Um, as you guys can see um, on the graphic right now, 
Um, his stats last year, he had a 306 batting average, on-base percentage of 394, um, on-base plus slugging, 943. Again, because he only played 95 games, he only managed to get 16 homers, 57 RBIs, and uh, 54 runs. But just imagine what he can do in a full 162-game season at full health. So I definitely think that's a good move for the Rangers. And again, remember, all of this money is coming from that Joey Gallo trade. Yeah. When they gave him up to the Yankees, they got a crap ton of money. You got a lot of salary cap space, and yeah. they're spending it now. Yeah, they're spending it. And that that's the crazy thing about baseball, at least to me, is some of the contracts yeah. that you see in this sport are so intense. Exactly. And we'll see them as we keep talking about all this. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. And and in addition to Corey Seager, they've they've even backed up their infield and sorry, bolstered their infield even more with the signing of Marcus Simeon um, from the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, Simeon, a former Oakland Athletic. Um, he signed a seven-year, $175 million deal. Um, he had a MVP caliber season last year. Um, he, he was third in the AL MVP voting, um, but he had 45 homers, 102 RBIs, and 115 runs. And look at that war. Wins above replacement, 7.3. That's just ridiculous. And so, I mean, the, the Rangers are definitely on the up. So are a couple other teams in the AL West, but... Um, these were definitely two huge moves for the Rangers. Yeah, for sure. To get two studs, I mean, for a franchise that hadn't had life in a minute, it mm-hmm. feels like, you know, it's nice to kind of get two stars to yeah. come in in one offseason. Yep. It's, it's nice for sure. Uh, another team is Seattle. Tell us about yeah. that, some of the moves Seattle's made. Yeah, yeah. So Seattle, um, first off, um, the, the, the blockbuster kind of headline trade with Seattle right now is Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray's coming off of a, uh, off of a fantastic season. Um, 2021 AL Cy Young uh, winner. Um, he was with the Blue Jays as well, just like Marcus Simeon. Um, but he signed a five-year, $115 million deal. Um, but yeah, he was lights out last year. 13-7, and 2.84 ERA. And as you, again, as you guys can see, he led the AL in, in uh, ERA, innings pitched, strikeouts, and walks and hits per inning. Um, he's been fantastic. Um, but, but one thing that's kind of interesting with this um, with this deal is that Look, it's a five-year, $115 million deal. It's a lot of money. Obviously, it's not the most, but that's a lot of money for someone who in 2019 and 2020 wasn't all that great, but in 2021, he turned it on. And so, you know, I've been talking to a few guys and, you know, I I feel like we all have that same feeling where it's kind of like, okay, Robbie Ray had a good season, a good season, a singular season, you know, and it's kind of like, you kind of got to give this guy some more time to prove himself before you right. kind of lay this big contract in front of him. Well, that that might have. I mean, that's that's a, what a lot of teams do. Yeah, you know, they can take a chance. And the thing is, if that chance, if if that bet pays off, mm-hmm. you got a great deal. Exactly, you got a great deal for a couple of yep. years. If it doesn't, you got a bad contract. Yeah, it goes both ways. So yeah. you hope you're right no. if you're the, if you're Seattle. Exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see how Robbie Ray does this year. Obviously, I mean, we 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 wish him the best. We're not trying to say that we don't think he's going to be good or as as good as he was this year. But it's it's just kind of an interesting one considering how up and down he's been over the last two, three seasons. Um, but anyways, the Mariners have also signed Adam Frazier to a one-year $7.5 million deal. Um, last year, Frazier was with the Pittsburgh Pirates up until the trade deadline when he was traded to the San Diego Padres. Um, he had a great season last year. Um, 305 batting average, um, that on-base plus slugging, 836. 
Again, you know, five homers, 43 RBIs, 83 runs. Nothing special in the homer category, but he's not a power hitter. Um, really what you're looking for um, in Frazier is just a guy that can get on base and is solid defensively. And if nothing else, if he doesn't do much, um, you know, um, scoring-wise and offensively, then you've got a great um, utility guy. He can kind of play all over the field. So I think it's a good pickup for the Mariners who are definitely looking on the up this yes. coming season. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then um, now we're going to move outside of the AOS, and we're actually going to mainly look at the Mets here. But two guys from my Oakland Athletics have left. Mm. Not surprising because our owner doesn't invest anything. Um, yeah. So, yeah, basically. And both went to New York, too. Yeah, both of them went to the Mets. So, yeah, Starling Marte and Mark Canna, two, um, two really important guys on our team, left for the Mets. Starling Marte signed a four-year, 76, sorry, oh, my God, $78 million deal. Um, he had a great year last year with the A's and Miami. Obviously, he was traded to the A's at the trade deadline. Um, but he, he was fantastic for the A's. He did exactly what we needed him do, to, to do. You know, he was, he was um, hitting behind Mark Canna, who constantly got on base. And so it was fantastic because pitchers had to pitch to Canna differently knowing that Marte was coming up behind him. And so he did great for us. Um, I wish him the best of luck over in New York. And same with Mark Canna. Mark Canna signed a smaller deal, two years, $26.5 million. But um, this guy gets on base. Um, you know, you, you guys can see with that 231 batting average, you know, 231 isn't anything special by any means whatsoever, but he gets on base. He led the MLB in hit by pitches last year with 27. And this guy, I, I can't speak highly enough of him. I think he's a very underrated, um, you know, leadoff hitter type, you know, it, it's probably not the best role for him, but he can definitely do a good job there with the Mets. Um, yeah. and then switching again. But staying with the Mets, the Mets signed Max Scherzer to a three-year, $130 million deal. This is this is huge because now the Mets, not only do they have Max Scherzer now, but they also have Jacob deGrom, who is the best pitcher in the league. It was just a shame that he got injured last year and couldn't finish the season. Um, but yeah, Max Scherzer, um, again, he was with the Nationals starting um, last year in 2021, but he was traded to the Dodgers. They tried to make a playoff run, couldn't do it, lost to the Braves. Um, but Scherzer went 15 and four last year, 2.46 ERA, 179 and a third innings pitch, and 236 strikeouts. And you know he finished third in the NL Cy Young voting. But um, yeah, what an outstanding pickup for the Mets. Yeah, uh, Blue Jays and Oakland both hit pretty hard. Yeah. So far this off season, as they've lost some. Really just some major pieces, mm -hmm. you know. Definitely. Yeah, they, they've just lost a couple major pieces, so it's not fun for those franchises yeah. at all. Um, we've had a couple other players stay with their teams, though. Yeah, we have. and, and Get um, some extensions. Yeah, the, these guys have had some gigantic extensions. First off, Byron Buxton, um, again, he only played 61 games because of injury last year with the Minnesota Twins, but the Twins believe in this guy, and they think he's their franchise player, um, for the foreseeable future. So they signed him to a seven-year, $100 million deal. Again, in his 61 games, he had a batting average of 306, 358 on-base percentage, and a 1.005 on-base plus slugging, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, again, as you guys can see with the graphic, 19 homers, 32 RBIs, and 50 runs in just 61 games. So just imagine what he could do. Mm. Um, and then 
Wander Franco, who, if I'm not mistaken, is either 19 or 20 years old. Okay, he's 20. He's born March 1st, 2001. Just signed a monster deal with the Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay Rays. 11 years, $182 million. But if he uses that 12th-year option, he, it, it can uh, go up to $223 million. Um, that was, that's just some, um, some insane type of contract there. Imagine being 20 years old and being able to make $223 million. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, some of these baseball contracts are so intensely yeah. ridiculous. I mean, baseball is the most kind of bipolar contract Yeah. in terms of you make nothing or you make a ton. Yeah. You know, like you're not making, you know, $40 million. You're making a hundred, or you're making, you know, mm-hmm. 500000 Yeah. You know, that's how it feels at least. I'm yeah. obviously exaggerating a little bit, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. That's, the, that's the feel you always get. I always get from yeah. baseball's offseason is like, man, like 12 dudes just made so much money. Yeah. And then, like, kind of the rest of the team makes, like, $2 million yeah, yeah. or something like that. No, no, <laughs> that's no, no, how totally. it always yeah, goes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's why baseball is always such an interesting offseason. Yeah. Because you just see teams throw so much money at just one or two players. Yep. Just like we saw, you know, with New York did it. Just like with the Mets, to be specific. Yeah. Just like we saw the Rangers did it. Yeah. They just pick, like, one or two guys, and you just throw a ton of money their way. Yeah. And hope it works out. Yeah, but um, no, th- this offseason so far has been pretty crazy um, in the baseball world, and that's not going to be the end of it. There's definitely more to come. Um, hopefully, the Oakland A's can sign some folks <laughs> and not just re-sign guys so for another one year. it's not the most boring offseason ever. Oh, God. Those yeah. are the worst. It's just not looking good. Those I mean. those are always terrible. Where, like, you go into the offseason yeah. and you're expecting to make, like, a move. Like, just one. Just one, one thing that's fun. You know what I mean? Like, just give me one thing. And then they sit on their hands the whole time, and they yeah. resign a couple guys. Maybe they make one or two trades with, like, some minor players or whatever. Yeah. But really going to change that team that much? No. Mm-hmm. That is the worst. Yeah. and it always It's never fun when that yeah. happens. And and that's the thing with the A's. It's like, look, it's it's been that same recycled process of, you know, creating good players, developing them when they're young, when they're in the minors, you know, when, when they're prospects. Like the Matt Chapmans, you know, Josh Donaldson, we made a great player out of him to then go do great stuff with the Blue Jays and the Twins and et cetera, right? You know, and, and whenever someone asks me, oh, what, what do you think about the A's, you know, getting um, these prospects, you know, because it looks like Matt Olson's going to be uh, going to the Yankees this offseason, and it looks like the A's are going to supposedly shoot for the moon and get some uh, top prospects. Well, that's great. But prospects that come to the A's are basically guys that are just going to develop with the A's, sign a rookie contract with the A's, and then when the A's are too cheap to pay them a legitimate contract, they're just going to go off and do something great with another team. So They're a stepping stone franchise. Yeah, yeah, but but that's the thing. For the A's to get prospects, I mean, you know, by by the A's getting prospects, it's not like that's going to help us. When they run out of their rookie contract... We're going to give them up to someone else. Right. You know, and so getting prospects for the A's just, it's, it's not a big deal, I feel like, because you're just going to get rid of them. Other teams just kind of use it as a feeder team. Yeah. You know, they we, wait. We are a farm system for the rest of the MLB. Yeah. Straight up. 
basically. So. And so, and, and if you want to be competitive, that cannot be so. Yeah. You know, you exactly. have to you have to fix that. So you cannot. You, eventually, you got to open the checkbook and pay them. Yeah. So John Fisher, we're talking to you. You got to open up your pockets. We know it's not empty. All right. So start <laughs> that, start that doing something true. for this team. Yeah. The thing is, is like. You always get stuck in like, well, we can blow it up and develop. You know, you just keep pushing it back like five years. You yeah. go, well, we're going to, it's the future. We're building for the future. But then you say that for 20. Sacramento Kings have been saying that since 2007. Yep. They're not back in the playoffs. They keep blowing it up and building for the future. Yep. But it never, eventually you got to stop and go, okay, now we actually have to stop yeah. and build for the future. And, yep. and win now. We got to make a move. We got to win now. We got to get some pieces. We got like one or two central guys. We got to pay them money. We know, but they're essential to the team. They're yeah. core guys. We want to build around them. We get some other pieces to go with them. But like, if you're not willing to pay them, you're going to keep punting every yeah. year. You're going to keep punting for five years from now. Exactly. And eventually, fans grow tired of it. This happens, and this is true of every sport. Yeah. Eventually, fans grow tired of it, and. They are sick of not making the playoffs and not winning games. Yep. Like exactly. they want to. Yep. And and for people like John Fisher, there, there's no need for him to go out there and spend more money. Why? Because he's breaking even and making even more than he actually put in. And the A's are playing like crap when he does that. When, when the A's play like crap, he's still making profit. So there's no need for him or no pressure for him to actually go out there and pay more money. Yeah. So. It's true. That's the biggest issue. But, um... Anyways, now, switching gears from baseball over to soccer, there's been some big news in the soccer world. Um, obviously, um, well, yesterday, but, you know, th this video is going to come out Wednesday. So Monday, um, th uh, the, the France um, Football Association or something like that, um, they, they held the, the annual Ballon d'Or um, awards show. And so... Obviously, in 2020, um, they didn't actually give out any awards because of COVID. Many people felt that Robert Lewandowski was robbed of a Ballon d'Or. That's how I felt. But um, anyways, on Monday night, they held the awards show. They gave out a couple of awards. Um, the the, the Levy Ashton Trophy for Best Goalkeeper of the Year, Gianluigi Donnarumma, no doubt. I mean, he had a great tournament with Italy during the Euros this summer. Um, obviously, he was signed by PSG over from AC Milan. He's doing fantastic right now. Um, they handed out the Copa Trophy for the best player that's um, under 21, and that went to Pedro Gonzalez of Barcelona. Fantastic player, really looking like he can be one of their franchise players for the uh, for the future. Um, he's a very exciting player to watch, and so well-deserved for him. Um, they gave out the, the women's Ballon d'Or to Alexia Puteas, who is um, on the um, FC Barcelona women's team. Um, obviously, I, I I don't know too much about her, but they they gave her that award, and then for the for the Ballon d'Or, the, the men's Ballon d'Or, this was mainly between two guys, Lionel Messi and Robert Lewandowski. I personally don't think um, Messi has done really enough to deserve that award, and based off of last year how Lewandowski got snubbed, I really thought that he should have won, but Messi won it anyways. It was his seventh. Um, it, well, it is his seventh in his career, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, seven Ballon d'Ors is just something that I don't think we'll ever see um, be matched um, mm. anytime uh, in the future in world soccer. But that happened on Monday. Um, also, other big news, but um, in club football, 
Um, Manchester United have signed a new interim manager. Um, right now, they're under the the um, coaching of Michael Carrick, um, but soon enough, um, Ralph Regnick, who is coming over from Lokomotiv Moscow, he will be our interim manager until July of 2022. But he has signed a contract to stay with United through 2024. Um, at first, when I saw Ralph Regnick getting signed by us, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, first of all, never heard of this guy. But after looking at what he's done with other teams, especially in the Bundesliga, um, it seems like he's the right man for the job. Um, and, and knowing that he's not just going to stay with us for six months, but for the next two, three seasons mm -hmm. is promising because what he's going to bring into the team now is going to be the same type of design and the same type of play style for a couple of years. It's not just, hey, we're going to bring someone in for six months, and then after six months, the players are going to have to change their play style again for a new right. coach. Obviously, the play style will change slightly, but he's still going to be at the helm of how the team plays and what the team's looking like. Um, yeah, that'll just help with the transition in yeah. general. And oh my goodness, I cannot believe we forgot to announce the name of the segment. Oh. It's so you think you think you know about soccer, in case you didn't think it um, already. I know some of you yeah, didn't think it. Yeah, my bad, Jack. But in case you didn't think it, it is so you think you think you know about soccer. Um, that is the name of the game. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you got anything else. No, no, yeah, 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 segment. I do. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, no, no, yeah. Just like, a little bit. No, no, you're good. Okay, yeah, yeah. But, but anyways, Ralph Ragnick, um, he, he's, he's mostly known for developing teams in the Bundesliga that were struggling. Um, for instance, um, Ulm, he went there, pretty much rebuilt, rebuilt Ulm from the bottom up. He rebuilt Hoffenheim. He built um, RB Leipzig. Um, again, as you can see with the graphic on the screen, he was the director of football for RB Le Leipzig and Red Bull Salzburg from 2012 to 2019. Leipzig manager from 2015 and 2016, and then from 2018 to 2019. Um, and, and in 2019, he was the German Cup runner-up. Um, and then back in the early 2000s, um, he was the manager of Schalke in 04 and 05. Uh, he, he he was the runner-up in the Bundesliga in 05, and then he won the German Cup with Schalke in 2011. And again, he's most known for coaching um, and, and really developing some of these most prominent coaches that we see now, including Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, and Julian Nagelsmann. And so it's definitely, um, it's definitely looking like um, Manchester United are heading in the right direction with the appointment of Ralf Ragnick. Um, mm -hmm. I'm definitely excited. And, uh, yeah, I, I just hope this works out. So far, Manchester United, um, their season has been terrible. Um, there's really no other way to put it. They've been subpar. Um, and, yeah, they just really, really, really need to get back on track. And I think Ralph Ragnick's the, the, the guy that can do it for us. So Yeah, you can get the job done. Yeah. Anyways, that is going to be the end of um, the, the So You Think You Think You Know About Soccer Um Again, we did want to mention that Jackson was unable to join us tonight, um, but he'll be back on um, in the next few episodes for sure. Um, we'll definitely have him on again. Um, but, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up, right? That's yep. probably it. I think that's all we got all for right. this week's show. Yeah, so, again, thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. Um, we really appreciate the support you guys have been giving us. It's it's keeping us going, chugging along here. Um, so that is going to be the end of the video, and we did want to let you guys know that these next couple weeks are going to be tough for us just because we're going through our first cycle of finals um, in college. And so 
we may or may not be doing a show next week or the week after just as we will be having to study quite hard yep. um, for finals. <laughs> so we will keep you guys updated for sure. Um, if there's no video, we'll definitely um, communicate that to you guys. But until then, make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Jack and Ian Show and check out our videos, sorry, our videos on YouTube and the audios on Spotify um, if you haven't yet. But um, yeah, until next time, I think that's it. Yep, thank you all. All right, see you guys later.